Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Today's cool fact of the day is that before we used mercury in thermometers, we actually used brandy, believe it or not. It turns out that alcohol has a different density than water, and by using glass bulbs filled with brandy or other alcohols floating in water, you could tell the temperature of the room by looking at which sphere floated to the highest or lowest level. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD plus. Check out Qualia NAD plus risk-free for up to a hundred days at neurohacker.com slash Dave 15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave 15 Qualia NAD plus. It's what I use. You're listening to podcast 48. All right, this is Dave Asprey here, and I've got Abel James on the line. Abel James runs Fat Burning Man, which is a really popular number one iTunes ranked podcast. Uh, Number one iTunes ranked uh, in the same sense that this podcast has been number one iTunes ranked in that iTunes keeps changing who's top ranked, but it's awesome that Abel has beat me many times for the number one spot. Abel, welcome to the show, man. Thanks so much, Dave. It's awesome to be here. We're going to have some serious fun. You can count on it because you're one of the other guys out there who talks about being a biohacker openly, which is kind of like coming out of the closet in some ways. (laughs) It's a dirty little secret, yeah. (laughs) Especially, it's funny because I get definitely some blowback because I'm all about eating real food and being natural with the body and that sort of thing, but also ultimate performance at the same time. And so sometimes it's difficult to reconcile those. It's kind of convenient that eating real food makes you perform better. Right. Uh, because there's a nice crossover. I mean, if I had to eat you know, bowls of silicon chips or something, <laughs> that's not very paleo, but I think I might do it as long as I knew that I was going to live longer, feel better, like be a better part of the system of the earth. But in the meantime, like I'll take my real food because it tastes better than bowls of silicon wafers. Yeah, well, it's not that different than fish oil, right? I mean, that's it's kind of a weird, unnatural thing to like take a slug of fish oil every day, if it's like fermented cod liver oil. But it's uh, it's a similar principle. 
I thought you were going to say to take a slug. I'm like, slugs are not paleo. I checked. <laughs> I would do that too. <laughs> I would not put it past me. You're going to be drinking snake blood in Thailand in two days. So we'll see. Nice. Uh, I've only done that in Taipei. I didn't know they did that in Thailand. Awesome. <laughs> well, we're going to be bouncing around a bit. Okay. You're going to have an awesome time in your upcoming trip. <laughs> now, all right. I, I got to ask you. Uh, last time I went to Thailand was just like for a day trip. And I wanted to go to a medical clinic there because you could do all sorts of stuff for like almost free in Thailand that would cost, you know, tens of thousands of dollars here, like lab yeah. testing and imaging and even like surgery. Not that I need any work done, <laughs> but I noticed you do. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, thank you. So what are you going to do there biohacking wise while you're spending a few weeks in Thailand? I think try new things, try, try new foods. Uh, one thing that I also really want to do is give my adrenals a bit of a rest. Cause I've just, this is going to be like my first day off all year, pretty much it's been bananas. So I want to get more into meditation, preferably on the beach. Um, actually taking my M wave too. I'm going to see if nice. I can make that even a little bit better. Cause I, I actually got something, uh, way back in the day. I think I was like 14. I used to buy and sell things on eBay cause we were poor and I needed to make money come out of somewhere <laughs> if I wanted to do fun stuff. And I bought this thing called like the relaxamat, I think it was. And it was like this crazy Russian thing, um, that measured your galvanic skin response. So I kind of learned similar tactics way back then. And it's interesting to see how that applies in like some things that, that I did work with the M wave two and other things don't. So I'm going to be focusing on that a little bit and just reading a heck of a lot. It, it's kind of nice to be able to have some unplugged time. You know, bandwidth is available there in Wi-Fi, but you'll be able to avoid over communicating, which yeah. is pretty relaxing when you get a, a chance for that. Totally. It's, it's uh, kind of like anti-biohacking, I guess, <laughs> like d disconnecting from everything. But I think, you know, it's What's interesting about it, and it's cool because you've even worked this into the Bulletproof exec thing, like it's a dude meditating, right? Yeah. It's all, it's all getting back to like what we should be doing at its, at its simplest, at its most natural point when you're, when you're getting to like nirvana in your own brain. Um, and we can kind of use these mechanical or electronic ways of getting there or this crazy technology that allows, allows us to measure something or even affects our own bodies, but we're all trying to get to that same point. Yeah. And honestly, I went, when I was in Thailand, I didn't go to any of the meditation stuff there, but I did it in Nepal and I did it in Tibet. And I spent you know, 10 days at a, a Buddhist monastery, you know, following Buddhist rules and um, farting a lot because it was all vegetarian food. <laughs> by the way, that interrupts your meditation terribly. Don't, don't, don't be I'm a vegetarian. Sure. And the person today. behind you. <laughs> Exactly. What do you mean behind me? I'm talking three rows in all directions. But uh, <laughs> so uh, the the problem uh, with with that approach for me was it's really powerful. And when you do meditation in a group setting, it actually has more of an effect, as as far as I can tell. And even according to some of the the studies I've read about you know, measurable biosignals, mm -hmm. um, but it's slow. Like it takes you know, years and years, maybe one of the fastest paths is Zen, but it's also like one of the more dangerous paths. You know, people yeah. who are hardcore Zen practitioners, like a not small number of them um, can have like psychological uh, issues come up from it because it's such a fast path. So yeah, yeah, some of them reach Samadhi, they become, you know, enlightened and they have amazing experiences and many have great benefit, but it is a higher risk approach according to some of the teachers that I've worked with who are themselves huge fans of Zen. Yeah. So, like, it, it's always it, it's always important as a biohacker to keep in mind the risk, and when you look at radical amounts of of personal growth in short amounts of time, how do you kind of put rubber bumpers up so that you can be safer? You know, that's a really good point. I was just talking to uh, one of my team members, Chris, about this uh, on my own podcast. And, and so he knew that I was getting into smart drugs and experimenting with different supplements and that sort of thing a while back. And uh, occasionally he comes over to the house and I'm just like, hey, you know, I have a bunch of extra of, you know, uh, some of the racetams. Do you want them? And he's just like, yes, absolutely. And then he uh, started reading up on, on mega dosing and things like that. And he sends me this this text a couple days later, and he's just like, dude, I just had the worst crash. I could not get out of my bed for, like, it's been almost two days now. Have you ever experienced this? And I'm like, no. 
I haven't. And I'm like, what did you do? And it turns out he just like mega dosed uh, on paracetam specifically and, and a few other ones, kind of a cocktail and just, just couldn't get himself out of bed after that. Like he was rocking the house for two days and then completely crashed. But that's, uh, I think a good example of even something, you know, that's been supported by science for a while. It's like not very toxic at all. It's pretty safe. But at the same time, if you push it to the limits, you can totally blow yourself out. It's, it's not a good idea to always like, uh, be mega dosing or, or trying to overshoot something that's uh, especially something that is altering you in some way. Yeah, there's uh, you know a, a U-shaped uh, response curve usually, uh, or upside down U-shaped depending, yeah. uh, depending, and sometimes both overlapping. So sometimes a very small dose can have a big effect, and then mm-hmm. sometimes you hit that medium ground uh, where you're like, okay, this is good, and you go higher, maybe you get less effect or you get even more, but it's the wrong kind of effect. Yeah. And the dose curve is very different. Like for the racetams, uh, um, my buddy, uh, Steve folks who spoke alongside you at the biohacking conference uh, mm-hmm. that we put on earlier this year, he, he'll take 10 grams of paracetam sometimes wow. in order to reset some circadian rhythm things. But also he does that knowing as the author of smart drugs and nutrients too, like he knows what he's doing. He's you know, yeah. the guy I go to if I can't solve something. So from that perspective, he's like, well, yeah, Dave, I'm one of the people with too much acetylcholine. Mm-hmm. So for me, that helps to drain the acetylcholine. Your buddy, Chris, he probably completely depleted his acetylcholine. Right. And if you're listening to this and you know you don't know what acetylcholine is, that's all right. It's a neurotransmitter that's stimulating. So we need to have a balance of that and dopamine, another famous neurotransmitter. But if you have too little acetylcholine, you're in bed, you feel just like blah. If you have too much of it, you get jaw tension and muscle pain and twitching. And you feel agitated and, and really unpleasant. Yeah. It's kind of funny. I've, I'm also one of those people with too much acetylcholine. I didn't used to be. I think uh-huh. probably oh, from... Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I think probably from taking way, way too much alpha-glycerol phosphatidylcholine, or alpha-GPC as it's called, Yeah. Uh, and all the other forms of choline you can buy as supplements. For about 10 years, I took relatively high doses of that every single day. And I think my body was just like, okay, you got enough acetylcholine. And the other yeah. drugs, like, like Hooperzine uh-huh. um, and things like that, they prevent your body from breaking it down. So it's very individual how it works. And that's why my typical recommendation for people is like aniracetam. Just yeah. try that and it comes on quickly and it goes away quickly. Yeah. And it's not going to blow you out even if you're if you're someone low on acetylcholine or you're someone high on acetylcholine. And from there, go up and try something like phenylparacetam or paracetam. And I'm, I finally found a source for phenylparacetam now, so I'm like completely oh, nice. stoked. I love that. Have That's you tried awesome. It? So when you're taking these, what are you actually doing? Like, uh, w- what is the end goal? Uh, rocking the entire day. I take them in the morning. <laughs> My goal is to record awesome podcasts, write awesome content, make awesome coffee, have an awesome time playing with my kids, um, you know, stay up as late as I like, you know, having an awesome time with my wife after the kids go to bed and then sit back down at the PC and then do what I want to do and go to bed and wake up feeling awesome again. Like I want all awesomeness, recognizing that it's not at least not possible within what we know today. Yeah. To completely be at a hundred, you know, hundred and ten percent like that all the time, because there's a natural rhythm to the body. Mm-hmm. You know, we we want we want to go high and go low, and you know, you have times of the month, even as a man, where you have more energy or less energy, and you have times of the day, and so trying to to turn the volume up, but still honor the natural curve of the day, and recognize oh, it's an afternoon lull. Even though I feel yeah. really awesome, could uh-huh. I take a nap now? But I'm not like so overstimulated, I couldn't possibly take a nap because ah, <laughs> you know. What you, yeah, what's, your, what's your take on all this? Like, I I think that's a really good point because uh, I'm definitely all about rhythms and that sort of thing, uh, and I think being a musician made me recognize that like sometimes you sit down and nothing happens like you can try to to write a song or play a new lick or or do something creative but you can't force it out of you other times and it's usually about the the same time of day 
uh, it just flows out of you. You're like a song is there in 40 minutes. You're like, I have no idea where this came from. It just worked. And so I think once you start recognizing the patterns in your own behavior, whether it be, you know, with working out, sometimes, you know, if you can deadlift 50 pounds more in the afternoon than you can in the morning, maybe you should be doing it in the afternoon. Maybe you should be doing something else in the morning. And so I think it's, uh, it's really important to recognize that you can't be going at 110% all the time. You kind of have to find those little idiosyncrasies about your own behavior and physiology and then follow those to reach ultimate performance. And sometimes the best things, the best thing you can do, um, is, is not do anything like a personal example of that in Krav, I was doing a reverse back fist at the end of class. Like basically they try to kill you at the beginning of class. So at the end, you're just completely smoked. And it was sloppy form, did it completely wrong. And I knew it as soon as I hit the pad that I had uh, basically like, I don't think I tore it, but I, I strained my shoulder. And I'm like, oh God, because your shoulder, I mean, it's something that you completely take for granted, right? Oh. But you use it for absolutely everything, especially as it relates to working out. So I basically have been on my butt for three weeks and just started working out again. But I knew if I pushed it and I went back too soon, then I'd be on my butt for three months, right? Like I would still get a workout in, but then I would completely crush my shoulder and I wouldn't be able to do anything. So sometimes the best thing you can do is take that time off. And, you know, there are even studies that support, you know, taking a week off every few months is absolutely essential if you want to level up again thereafter. So uh, I think it's important to honor that stuff. The hardest part of exercise for the kind of people who listen to this podcast is usually really, it's not exercise at all. It's recovery. Yeah. All right. And what you're talking about, they're having a week to let the body just, you know, consolidate its gains and to you know, retrench and understand there's more stimulation coming, but, you know, get the house in order. Yeah. And so many of my clients, you know, these guys are like monster entrepreneur people. And they're also like, yeah, I'm going to do the Ironman. I, I talked to guys who's, <laughs> who's, who's like done the Ironman Kona like 13 times and like, wow. Wanted. Uh, and I'm working with him and, and I mean, he's just this amazing guy, but, but he has every sign of adrenal burnout ever. Cause he's working right. out like six days a week for yeah. an hour or two. And just like, you know, you can just see like, like the definition of burning the candle at both ends. Um, so your recommendation there about taking, you know, take an hour off. It's, it's really, it's really cool. Yeah. And it works. I, I think, you know, to some degree, it's really easy to plateau if you're the type personality, like type A personality like us, you know, just like yeah. gunning for it all the time. So it's really easy. You almost get used to doing the same level of performance, which may or may not be high every single day. But when you take time away, like I even, I lost a little bit of muscle mass. It didn't bother me too much. I lost a lot of strength. But um, as soon as I came back, the second workout, I almost got all of it back. And so then it's almost like you're priming your body to, for growth again. And so like maybe the next one, it won't be double, but it'll be bigger again, instead of kind of like doing the same workout over and over again. And you can apply this to productivity as well, uh, or something artistic in nature. But like taking that time off sometimes allows you to get to that next level. And that's pretty freaking cool. It, it is really cool. And in biohacking lets you do some stuff that's not supposed to be normal. Um, yeah. one, one of the uh, UFC fighters um, who's an ambassador for, for Bulletproof, he went for um, a month after his last fight and, and didn't do anything except like once a week kind of basic workout. And wow. he was hardcore on the Bulletproof diet. Yeah. And he did a, a class where he fought 13 people in one evening. Jeez. And like he, he shot a video right afterwards and sent it over. And he's like, Dave, because he goes, I'm so strong. I feel like I could hurt people, uh, <laughs> you know, which is kind of good if that's your business. Right. Right. Uh, so uh, but he was blown away because, you know, that wasn't the diet that he was on before. And the yeah. amount of, of maintenance you can do when you crank up the fat like that's amazing. So you get the recovery without the loss that comes during recovery mm -hmm. for a lot of people. Like that's the sort of thing that. Okay, we're doing it like UFC fighters and Olympic champion stuff. That's like the Formula One race car uh, of the world. And what a lot of people don't know is what they're doing in Formula One racing makes its way into, you know, your Toyota Camry mm -hmm. in 10 or 15 years after they pioneer this on the track. Yeah. I look at guys like this as being you know, the race cars and what they're doing. And honestly, what you and I are doing right now, some of the, the stuff around sleep and music and everything, that'll make its way into 
normal population stuff within five probably years because yeah. things will sped up. Thank you, Internet. And we don't, <laughs> we don't have a supply chain like we do for, for race car building. You know, it takes a long time to re-engineer cars. It doesn't take so long to re-engineer human behavior because you know, there isn't a, a factory involved. Very true. Yeah, and that's an interesting point because when I first got into all of this from the nutrition and, and fitness perspective, I wanted to do something different because like the what I thought was healthy and what my doctor and the magazines and everyone else said was healthy clearly was not. It was not working well for me. I was sick. I was all sorts of jacked up. So I wanted to see like basically looking for those exceptions like where things – uh, shouldn't be working. Like Mark Sisson shouldn't be 60 and have a six pack. Clearly something he's doing is about right, right? Like people should not be at 3% body fat. That's ridiculous. But there's something that they're doing that's leading them to get there. So what are those things? You know, and it, it, I think that's kind of an interesting corollary when you look at uh, Formula One racing, because any sort of inefficiency when you're performing at that level like the wheels will fall off pretty quick if you're going 200 miles per hour, where it won't if you're going 40 hours in your or 40 miles an hour in your Toyota Camry, right? So, like looking for those efficiencies and applying them to your own life can make some pretty major results pretty quickly, um, especially if you're you're looking specifically for those inefficiencies. Yeah, it's it's incredible what that can do, and, and you don't have to do everything and, and kind of you know people like biohacking like like there's a lot of lately i've been getting a lot of of emails and all from women in their in their late 50s and 60s uh, on the bulletproof diet right and i i love women in their 50s and 60s because they have so much wisdom uh that i can learn from Uh and um in fact i have two of them working for bulletproof who are like so amazing and uh when i when i hear what they're saying i know that they don't usually think of themselves as like, oh, I'm a biohacker. Uh, right. But do they want to take advantage of the gains that come from biohacking? Right. Y- you bet your ass. And like, those are the, the same the same idea, okay? I'm driving a Camry. I'm not going to go to the track. I'm not a race car driver, but do I want the safety improvements that a race car driver developed by driving into a wall? Y- you yeah. bet I do. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. And you've mentioned this a few times in your talks where it's just like you apply this super high-level stuff to a normal person and the gains can be massive really, really quickly. It's really kind of funny. It's like taking, you know, your your Volvo and it's just a normal car. And I say that because, you know, we have a Volvo. Um, (laughs) My my wife is Swedish, so that's like the car you you buy if you're Swedish. And so if you just put like wheels on the car which sounds kind of ridiculous and yes i did that because i had a racing volvo uh, one of three thousand ever made uh, really oh dude it rocked i even met the, awesome. I, I met the woman who made them uh, um it, it was amazing a 300 horsepower brembo brakes stock twin turbo and it wow. looked like a station wagon and it could smoke most cars out there so Those like wheelies. to get beaten by a station wagon is just emasculating so i, I gotta <laughs> anyway <laughs> Back to the biohacking. The car hacking is different. But um, what I did when I sold that thing is I had two sets of wheels. So I put the 18-inch high-performance wheels and tires on my wife's, you know, it's like a 2001 Volvo wagon. And, like, we keep thinking we should sell it. It's getting old. But, like, it looks like new Volvos anyway. And it drives like a new Volvo. And, and, Mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't have that many miles on it. So it's like our daily car. But when you put those wheels on it, it was like getting a new car. It was just one performance improvement from the race car. But yeah. it handles like twice as well, and it stops better. It's st- it, like everything is is so much safer in that car from one little tweak. Yeah, so that's really cool. Yeah, it, it's the same for our bodies. Like, oh, I'm just going to add, you know, MCT oil. Holy crap! What, <laughs> like MCT oil will rock your world, and you know that's why I get a little bit. Um, territorial around like the bulletproof coffee recipe. I'm like, no, you've got to try it just once with actual MCT oil because it tastes good with lots of stuff in it. But like, if you get the MCT in there, you will feel a benefit that's different. So like, yeah. mix and match, and you know, heck, put olive oil in there if you want; it'll taste gross. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> whatever turns you on. But at least splash some MCT in there because like you'll feel it. Yeah, MCTs are decidedly different. Yeah. Um, as long as you don't overdo them at the beginning. I actually, right before we record this, um, <laughs> I got an email from someone who tried your new 
MCTs, the, the super MCTs, and he said they're freaking awesome. I would love to try those. Oh, I'll send you some brain octane oil. That, that stuff, man, uh, it took a long time to like like supply it, like to get it so we could get it. Yeah. And so it didn't taste like crap because most of the, the C8 you can get isn't very pure. Yeah. And so it, it tastes kind of like, you know, goaty is the right word. <laughs> so, goaty. I know yeah. what you mean. Yeah. So this <laughs> stuff, I mean, it tastes just like the normal MCT, but um, yeah. the mental effects are like substantially good and the disaster pants effects are noticeably less. Yeah. Uh, and by disaster pants, if you're listening to this and you don't know what MCT oil is, um, MCT oil is medium chain triglyceride. It's extracted from coconut or palm oil. And it's one that directly fuels your cells with energy in a way different than sugar or carbs do. So, Abel, uh, you and I basically walk around with an unfair advantage because we have you know, glucose metabolism running, which means that you know we get uh, some of our energy from carbs, but we also have ketone metabolism running, which means we get a lot of our cell energy from fat and specifically from something called ketones. And MCT oils, which have to be extracted from coconut for you to get the full dose, they actually fuel that cellular energy cycle really efficiently. Yeah, and it's it's like a clean burn, not distracting way of getting energy. Yeah, that's kind of the way that I think about it. It's like a lot of times if I if I eat, especially if I eat breakfast, it's distracting, and I'm hungry later. And you can kind of tell that you're in digestion mode or something like that, as opposed to MCTs or or butter or other kind of clean burning fats like that. It's not distracting. You could be productive. You know that you're not eating, but you're also not hungry, and you have plenty of energy. It's it's a very cool feeling. It, it is like I, I had a client in the UK. She's this massive sugar addict to the point she wouldn't keep any food in her house. She's like, I'll just snack. I snack all the time. I wow. can't control myself. So, of course, I meant she ate crap food because she had to go buy pre prepared stuff all the time. Yeah. And it took within uh, three days. She, she just was like, Dave, I have zero sugar cravings. I, I just look at sugar and I don't even miss it, I don't even care. Uh, and, and she was completely like flabbergasted about this. Isn't that cool? Yeah. That, that you know, to me, happened to agree, a degree as well. I was uh, definitely addicted to carbs. And now if I see something, it doesn't look like food. Like if it's sugary or, or a cake, unless we made it ourselves <laughs> and I know what's in it, it just doesn't look like food. And it, it doesn't lead to that same sort of Pavlov's dog effect of salivating being like i need this in my belly right now yeah like the bagels lose their power and like yeah exactly you just (laughs) see it there you're like why did you bring that crap in here like you know i'm not i'm not gonna eat that it gets it's not good for me i would even you know before i I figured this stuff out even i lost you know 50 of the 100 pounds i lost and i i was you know low carb and and then i'm I'm looking and I would like just drain my willpower all day long sitting yeah. in meetings at work with like cookies and like the stupid bowls of candy they put in offices to make people right. eat. And, yeah. and I'd be like, <laughs> I'm not going to have the candy. And then 10 seconds later, I'm not going to have the candy. And it's like my inner Labrador, uh, you know, yeah. inside like my nervous system that's like, you know, must eat food. And it was just interrupting my my daily thoughts. And now the inner Labrador is like, have enough fat, screw the food. And like, yeah. it just turns off. And I love that because food has lost its power over me entirely. And it's not because I, I manned up and I, I got, you know, more willpower. Willpower is a finite resource. We've proven that. So you can get more energy and apply that to willpower, but it's still finite. So I don't waste my willpower. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it applies more largely to decisions too. You know, if you have a crazy day, that's why your willpower is, is all used up at the end and people start stuffing ho-hos down their throats because they just don't have anything left. I remember, um, especially before I go to Thailand, like all my days are just packed with interviews and, and decisions with the different businesses that I run. And my, my girlfriend who, who works with me as well comes up to me and asks me, I don't even remember what the question was, but it was something like really specific. And I just looked her in the eye and I'm like, I literally cannot answer that question right now. I did not hear what you said. <laughs> did, did you see the post that I wrote on decision-making fatigue? No, but that oh, sounds awesome. You should read it, and you might even want to like blog about the same idea. What I, I said in mine is very similar to your experience. And, I, of course, I went into the, the science behind it, but my, my wife, Lana, will text me and say, do you want lunch at 12 or 12.15? 12 
And literally that's another decision that I have to make. And I've like you, like I have, you know, my day job working at, at trend micro as, you know, a vice president. And then I have the whole bulletproof thing, which is really starting to take a lot of time. I I started to help people and it's, you know, become, it has employees and like it's become of national prominence, you know, a half a million people a month. So given all that stuff, I'm like, I, I can't make any more decisions right now without it costing me enormously. So could you just tell me when lunch is? Yeah. And I, I, de- <laughs> I developed this kind of mean habit. She said, do you want lunch at 12 or 12.15? And I would reply, yes. <laughs> Wait, you really do that? <laughs> totally. She and doesn't I, slap you in the face? She, she does, but I think she kind of likes okay. that, so it's okay. No. There you go. Uh, but it, it's... It's kind of funny because the first few times she she was sort of like, no, what do you want? And I would just keep saying yes, both, you know, and, <laughs> and so I realized that wasn't that nicest thing to do. And, you know, she was laughing about it. You know, she wasn't upset, but we, I finally just explained like, could you just like, you know, now I've, now I'm totally emasculating myself, but like, could you just like be more bossy? <laughs> like I need a bossy wife. Cause I just can't think about like, you know, whether lunch is going to be now or then, because that's that's like a set of work that sounds lame, but it's not. Yeah. Oh, it's true. And it's, I have so much respect for people who um, can like plan logistics for events and things like that. I feel like I could never handle that because of the amount of rabbit holes that you need to drive your mind, mind down through in order to think of all of the possible things that could happen are just, it's, it's mind boggling and it's not that interesting to me. So I don't think it would work. I remember I, I was just at a, a wedding and like, it was perfect, right? <laughs> Everything was perfect, except they didn't have napkins at the tables. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was a disaster for like half the people there. They're just like, well, what are the, we going to do? Like wipe our fingers on our tuxes and yeah, gowns? That, that's, like, that's what cummerbunds are originally for. You know, the the little folds cool. point up to catch crumbs. I like that. I have no idea. I wasn't wearing one at the time. I, I, I better invest in one of those. <laughs> Get camo because it won't show the stains. <laughs> okay. That's a, good, that's a fashion statement too. I dig it. <laughs> It'll be a new look. It, totally. It'll be the, the biohacker look. You, you have a touch for this camo. <laughs> <laughs> if we weren't cool enough already. All right. We got this. You, we, we've totally got it. So we were talking about decision-making fatigue, but we haven't talked about something that I wanted to ping you on on, on our interview today. And What'd that is music and the brain. You talked about this. It was really awesome at the biohacking conference, and we're putting together the whole pack of like professionally edited TED-style videos. And Sweet. You're, you've contributed you know, your, your book on, on the brain and music, which is going to be an awesome part of the bundle for that. But can you like... Give me the overview of kind of the way you think about music and the brain and what it does and all. Because I think people would be really, really interested in, in your take on it. Because in addition to being you know Fat Burning Man and a, a big podcaster and sort of a presence in the paleo scene, you're also like you've studied the brain extensively and you're a musician. So like you're a multi-talented guy. It's fun stuff. And that's like uh... – what I've been obsessed with for a very, very long time. Um, when I went through some rough stuff growing up, um, the only way I could get myself that sort of emotional release to cry, uh, was to shut myself in, in my room and basically crank my guitar as loud as I could and just like shred until I collapsed. And then that was, that was the only way I could like access that piece of myself and cope with what I was dealing with. Um, I got to I got to tell you, Abel. I thought you were going to say it was to turn the music on and like listen to like Britney Spears until it made you cry. So I'm so glad that you played your guitar. Thank you. I, I, I already think but, you're more of a man for that. What's interesting about that is Britney Spears, for someone out there, could work just as well. Like lots yeah. of people tear up, and it's like why? It doesn't make any sense when you look at, um, you know, s- sort of the evolution and, and where music would play into that. It doesn't really have a, a solid piece. Right. Like this, unlike sex and and pooping and eating, like there's no real adaptive significance for learning how to appreciate music or playing music. That's that's obvious anyway. And so for me, having it be such a huge part of who I was and like develop as a coping mechanism and also seeing, you know, when I created music or played for other people, how it would affect them, you know, making them cry or making them 
happy. So I'm just like, all right, what is going on here? And I, I started studying the brain uh, in college and I decided to marry these two things together. And basically, number one, music is very, very good because when you look at a brain on music, listening to music, playing music, it, every single piece pretty much is, is lit up. It's doing something. Um, and when you look at the, like the second half of my book is looking at the difference between non-musicians and people who don't really have that much musical experience compared to the ones who do, um, you, you start to see some really interesting effects on their behavior and their abilities. And it's not just like the finger dexterity and other stuff like that. It's, it's more about the, one of the most fascinating ones um, that, that I can appreciate. I'm sure you can too, Dave, being a, a podcaster and someone who speaks a lot, uh, is musicians tend to have uh, an increased ability when it comes to understanding speech prosody. So they understand the meaning behind the words. So if you, if you like listen to someone talk, especially on the radio, I think that's a good example. You don't really see them. Um, but compared to reading a blog post, you feel like you know them in a different way because you can hear all the different inflections and the emotions and things like that. And so one example I use is uh, if, if you have a wife or a girlfriend, she's ever said, I'm fine. Like the words don't matter at all because I'm fine. Like <laughs> I'm fine means something totally different than like, I'm fine. Frustrated, right? <laughs> it's frustrated, insecure, neurotic, and exhausted. That's what it stands for, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it could, it could also mean that she's fine. Yeah. And so what uh, uh, musicians are uh, able to outperform normal people by hearing that and assigning the right emotion or right, the correct meaning to that. And I think that that's really interesting. You can also kind of apply that to perhaps, and, and I haven't seen any studies that point to this, but it's just kind of like my mind running with it. Perhaps one of the reasons that, uh, you know, people say I have a compelling radio voice is because I'm also a singer and I assign this inflection and rhythm in what I'm saying that communicates emotion more effectively than someone who's monotone, who doesn't have a great radio voice for example. So, I mean, I could ramble on about music forever, but it's a fascinating thing. And it's important that everyone knows that it's very good. And especially if you have children in a developing brain, music can, can completely change the path of people's lives in a positive direction. Um, I'm not just talking about sex, drugs, and, and rock and roll, which is also a great deal of fun. <laughs> I'm talking about <laughs> you're making connections that wouldn't otherwise be there. Music is a language. And uh, once you understand it, especially from a young age, it can uh, have dramatic effects on other pieces of your life. Yeah, we're signing my six-year-old up for piano lessons. Nice. Uh, we've got a, a really good quality piano in the house. And it just, you know, it, it makes sense to allow the children to do that because they'll also be better at, at math for the, the same reason, which is kind of unusual to, to know that there are correlations between music and math, but there are. There are. It's a very mathematical, it's like a, it's almost like an advanced mathematics in a way, because it's theoretical. Uh, there's the, there's the surface piece where you're basically like translating music on a page into moving your fingers. Um, but there's also like a whole other level beyond that when you're creating music from your head and then translating that into music and using kind of like the theoretical basis of what should apply in musical theory and combining that with the creative aspect. Um, you know, you're using both the, the right and the left brain at the same time. And that's where the real power comes in. And I kind of feel like with music, you're using uh, parts of the mind and probably even the body to to do the same thing that you do rationally with math. So when mm -hmm. you're doing math, you're thinking about it with you right. know, your, your very slow but very powerful rational brain. And when you're doing music, it, it's also mathematical, but you're not thinking about it. So you do it way faster. Like, yeah. like you could never in your, your rational mind figure out the equation <laughs> to describe, you know, the sound waves. Right. Uh, but – uh, in real time, you could certainly figure out the sound wave, you know, and write an equation to make a sound that would be MIDI. But <laughs> what you really, you're really doing when you, especially when you do improv music, oh my God, like, how is it possible you can do that? Well, it has to be the part of your brain that's way faster than your conscious brain. And so just like you said on your guitar, you are getting through to that part of your brain because you're, you're using it. Yeah. And I think a lot of people have never really had access to that piece of their brain. And this is a shortcut or a biohack, if you will, of getting to that place.
In fact, music is one of the original biohacks uh, in one of my lectures that I give uh, to uh, like to corporations about improving performance. Yeah. It, it's it's like yeah, this is you know, drumming. <laughs> Shamanic drumming was one of the first kinds of drumming we think people ever did. Yeah, uh, that's why. But you talked about listening a little while ago, and and I'll I'll share something that I I don't talk about too often. I have holes in my auditory spectrum. I have an auditory processing disorder, so. I don't hear the same way that you and most people do. Mm-hmm. Most people filter out background noise in their brainstem, and I don't. I filter it out consciously. So for me to like hear what you're saying in a, a really crowded room or in a noisy environment, it takes an enormous amount of brain energy for me because it's effort. Yeah. So that also means because I miss gaps. So I have very low hearing. I can hear low frequencies and I can hear very high dog frequencies that people my age aren't supposed to be able to hear because my tissues are in better shape thanks to biohacking. Mm. But in the middle, I'll have like 50 hertz gaps where I just don't, it, it sounds like mud. So I've wow. trained I've trained my brain to get rid of or reduce the impact of a lot of those. But the, the core processing wiring thing happens probably either in the womb or around a birth or like very early in life. So my brain just does that. And it's something that may be possible to change, but would probably take an enormous amount of work, uh, more than I'm willing to invest right now. Yeah. So that's changed a lot because I, I don't necessarily pick up what other people pick up from sound, but when I do it, I do it with full consciousness of it. And that's made my auditory biohacking different. I just, this last week, went through that neurofeedback, this 40 years of Zen. In fact, uh, if people are interested in, in this, this thing I'm talking about, I'm just creating a, a website, 40yearsofzen.com. Cool. And uh, this is, I apologize in advance, um, this is a the kind of training that's 40 years of Zen meditation in seven days using $11 million worth of EEG machines hooked up to your head. Like it, it's intense stuff. And I do it with my super high end, uh, like coaching clients. Like we get together, I go in for a full week with them. Uh, and I don't even get really paid to do that. I just, I go in and I like chaperone it. Um, I can do four people at a time with me. And because you're listening to these tones so intently that come from your own brain, the brainwaves go into a computer, the computer plays the brainwaves back to you as sound, my hearing acuity goes up. So I, I did my my third full session, third full week of this stuff. And each time I do it, I'm, I'm just blown away because it's the 12 IQ points and, and you know, 50% creativity boost. But it, the benefit that I feel the most when I come come out of that is that my hearing is better. So I was like in my office listening to uh, to Breakbeat the other night. And I'm like, God, this is like the best music ever. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm on Pandora. I've heard this song like 15 times before because there aren't that many Breakbeat artists out there. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> like, why does it sound so good? And I'm like, oh, wait, it's because I actually learned in like seven days to learn or to listen more intently. That is so cool. The idea that listening is a teachable skill is awesome. And it's not like listening to someone's voice and, you know, paying attention. Attention is a teachable skill. Focus is a teachable skill. But the very core, subtle act of making the brain more sensitive to certain parts of the sound range or to the entire sound range, it's hackable. It just is. Yeah, it is. And I think musicians are forced to do that because that's what you need to do when you listen to music. If, if you're uh, a band leader, for example, you need to be able to listen to a song. And I do this all the time on the radio. Just like, oh, that bass line is sick. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, a lot of people who aren't musicians, like they, they won't think about it that way. They won't imagine a bass and the, the frets of that bass and what needs to happen in order to create that sound. And then the auditory processing uh, that happens in the studio in order to, to round it out and make sure it doesn't have those sharp edges or that too much punch, but it has that like big bass sound that allows you to shake, you know, it shakes your torso when you listen to it from the right speakers. Um, being able to focus in on those individual pieces of sound is a, is a pretty cool skill. I'm amazed when people do that. And like you say, because it's your profession, you listen really intently. And I'm sure if we, you know, took apart your brain or did a spec scan or something, you know, we'd see more metabolic activity in the sound processing parts of your brain. Yeah, probably always. I, I, there's another thing that's less music focused, but it's the same idea. And it's with visual acuity. 
And this is mm-hmm. also hackable, and um, it's something that you know, I'm, I've worked on pretty extensively on myself because, lucky me, uh, my eyes don't team up very well, and my brain turns off my left eye some of the time because it's too <laughs> much work to see through both eyes. I don't know, like it's not conscious that this happens. I don't see a change in my vision unless I'm looking at some very carefully designed tests for it, but it does create weird neurological stress sometimes. You'll see me wearing some orange sunglasses sometimes uh, because of that indoors, but I've retrained a lot of my visual processing so it's much less of an issue than it was before. But yeah. the idea that you can have supervision came to me when I was doing this crazy urban escape and evasion course. And if you dig through my video archives, you'll see there's a video where I, I'm like climbing out of a trunk uh, in, a, in a cut right before this uh, Playboy <laughs> Playmate of the Year climbs out of the same trunk. I'm like, woohoo, I was in the same trunk as a Playmate. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but um, she was in the class with me. And, uh, um, this was a class on what to do if you're kidnapped and they teach you how to like escape from handcuffs and how to like really how to survive in an urban environment if there's people chasing you and cool. it, it's meant for execs and people like that. And I'm like breaking duct tape and all this like cool, like how to video stuff. But the final exam, they, uh, they handcuff you, they hood you and they, they put you in the back of a van and then you have to escape and you spend all day being chased by a dozen bounty hunters in, in a town while trying to get stuff done. So like there's disguises and people tailing you and you're tailing people and you're teaming up. Like it, it was one of the most neurologically amazing experiences ever because if you want to like really see your fight or flight response, like knowing that these guys are going to grab you and kidnap you again if they catch you and like bring you further out of town and you have no money and no resources and you don't know the area, like it'll really teach you who you are. And I was like, I was so rocking this thing. I had this disguise. I had like a, a fake ponytail and like a <laughs> and like a, a, a one of those knit caps. And I had and a cummerbund. Uh, nice. <laughs> and I had like, a, I looked like a total hoodlum. I had like a cigarette. I don't even smoke, right? But I, and and I was walking like like a, a a guy, a meth head. And and I literally walked right past three bounty hunters, like like within ten feet of them. Like I wow. like stopped to take a drag, and I'm kind of like like shaking. People are walking like they're making a circle in the crowd for me because I just look so repellent and dangerous and on edge. Right? Yeah. And I felt like so cool. And then one of <laughs> like another guy walks up and taps me on the shoulder. He's like, I got you. Uh, oh no. And, and he goes, he goes. Truth be told, you're. Your uh, costume was perfect, but he said the the cameraman from the History Channel who's with us, he spotted you. And that was this. It was visual acuity. This guy's Mm -hmm. trained to see everything in a scene because later during the cut, like, oh, God, there was trash on the road. We can't use that. So he sees more. His visual bandwidth was bigger than you or me, right? That's a really good point. So I think yeah, that's fascinating. You have bigger auditory bandwidth than the average person by far, and these guys who do camera and video for a living, like they see everything with this high bandwidth, like X-ray vision that I yeah. totally want to. I want to develop. So I want like <laughs> your hearing and like those guys' eyes, and then like like we can be like super biohacked. I like that. I like that a lot. Let's do that. Uh, all right, it, it's a deal. We'll uh, we'll do a swap. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> As long as I get to wear the orange glasses and a cummerbund at the same time. It, it's a deal. We'll make a match. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> well, uh, I, I'm not sure how much more time you've got uh, on the podcast today. Do you have another like five minutes or so? Or are we I've got another five, yeah. All right, cool. Tell me what's the latest going on? Like what are the new biohacks you're working on and kind of what's the latest going on with, with your podcast and your blog? Mention your URLs and stuff like that. Sure. So I'll talk about a quick experience that I had uh, that you'll appreciate. I tried modafinil for the first time this uh, this Saturday. Woohoo! <laughs> and I was planning on on having a day off, but didn't really sleep the night before due to some extracurricular activities. <laughs> and uh, you know, the, the primary function of, of modafinil is, is basically that you don't feel as tired as you otherwise would be, so you'll be able to perform. So I wasn't really uh, planning on doing anything special or or different. But um, I wound up, uh, despite like having no sleep, and usually when I have no sleep, I, I don't perform very well. Um, like I made crock pot pulled pork, took the dog for a huge long walk, <laughs> like cut and applied 15 room darkeners to a particular thing. This has been like on my to-do list for two months. Um, packed for Thailand, reorganized two closets, reorganized another like shelf, did a bunch of work on the house, wrote a couple of blog articles, had a mini workout, deadlifted. Like, <laughs> I did so many things that I ran out of stuff to do on my to-do list and had to make a new one. It was nuts. 
Now, let me ask you this, if you're willing to say, have you ever tried Adderall or meth, which is the same thing as Adderall or like a, a hardcore stimulant versus ProVigil? I haven't. Just uh, Sudafed. <laughs> That's the closest I've come. And you're hardcore. Now, I, <laughs> I, I don't advocate meth or even Adderall for people except as a, in a very last resort under a doctor's care. And I, I had it. a prescription for Adderall once, and I took it for about a month at like five milligrams a day. And it, it was it was just a really unpleasant feeling. Yeah. And I, I when I take modafinil, it it's a very different experience. So I, I was wondering, okay, let's say compared to like several cups of really good coffee, what's mm -hmm. the difference between what you feel on modafinil versus like, you know, the ultimate clean caffeine buzz? I think that the biggest difference, this is kind of how I was, I was, I was writing in my notebook because I think I'm going to write a, a blog post about this, the feelings that I was experiencing. And it was novel to me because it's that feeling, you know, on your absolute best day, not when you've necessarily gotten the most sleep, but you've gotten the best sleep for a certain period of time. And everything is just like firing on all cylinders. You yeah. wake up, you pop out of bed and you're like, I feel amazing yes. right now. Like I'm going to crush it today. Um, and it's not distracted. It's not hyped up. It's not jittery. It's just like lucid. That's what it felt like. And it, um, I, I read up that the half-life is 15 hours, which is incredible. So I was feeling that way pretty much all day. And to be honest, there was a certain point of the day, it was like the afternoon probably when my body knew that it should be down-regulating a little bit and having that lull when I didn't, and it felt like a little bit too much. I was just a little uh, up in my head, and it was interesting when I, when I finally did work out. It was, it was probably 5 or 6 p.m., and usually I'll warm up by doing a, a cryo workout on the bag, so I'll be doing punches and kicks, and my head's moving around a lot. I found that I was getting a little bit dizzy, <laughs> but when I was doing um, the lifting I was able to do more reps than I normally do. And it, it, was, it was interesting, like the exhaustion when you, know, when, you, when you work out to failure or something like that usually comes from your brain more than your legs, say. Yep. So it's like your brain knows that you shouldn't do one more because you could get injured. And this was a little bit different than that. It was almost like I know that I won't get injured if I do more. <laughs> Does that make sense? It it makes great sense because I think that what's going on here is that if you were to measure like a frame rate of your eyes, a frame rate is, you know, 30 frames a second is what, you know, TV or the movies go at. And, and this is about what you see without flicker. I feel like on modafinil, like my frame rate is higher. Like, like I have yeah. more, more times a second when I can pay attention to things. And this is what really advanced meditators get. Mm -hmm. There's a study, uh, um, don't ask me to cite sources right now, I, I don't remember the details on this one, but they took some really advanced meditators versus people who didn't meditate very much, and they put them in a room, and they had a super bright, like a flashbulb go off, but they had yeah. two flashbulbs go off almost on top of each other. So, so there was a very short blink between them when there was no flashbulb. And the advanced meditators would say there was a period of darkness, there was a bright light, there was a period of darkness, there was yeah. a bright light, and then a period of darkness. And the other people would say it was dark, got a flat, bright flash, then it was dark. Wow. And so this is what it's like when you pay attention with all of your faculties, you have more abilities to see things and to be aware of things. Because meditation at the end of the day is about awareness. Mm -hmm. So what, what I think was going on with modafinil is that it turned up your frame rate. Like it made you more aware uh, of, you know, what was going on in your body because you could pay attention to more things at, at one time. Mm -hmm. um, and my EEG study, not that it was that scientific, of, uh, of modafinil, when I was doing this 40 years of Zen training, I did it off and on of modafinil. Mm -hmm. And my brainwaves, I had much stronger alpha brainwaves, which is what I'm working on training there, uh, when I'm on modafinil than off of mm. it. Interesting. Because anything that lets you pay attention better is going to let you meditate better. So, right. of course, you can meditate better when you're on modafinil because it's not ampy. It's not like stimulating and distracting. It's focusing. Yeah. And also, if you teach your brain to perform really well even when you're tired, the, half the reason you don't perform well when you're tired is not metabolic. It's fear. Your body's yeah. like, oh, I needed more sleep. Uh, oh, goodness, I, I, I better make sure you get more sleep. Oh, and, and it like the, the low-level parts <laughs> of your nervous system sort of stumble around, and they're like, I'm afraid. I, I, I might not get enough sleep. Ah. But okay. I love your inner dialogue voice, by the way. <laughs> 
I'm trying to imitate what a dog would talk like because I picture <laughs> I picture this Labrador. It's like, oh look, a leg. I'll go help that. Like, no, down dog, down. Right? Uh, because we all have this inner dialogue, whether we're aware of it or not. Like it's in there going, can I eat that? You know, like yeah, that's what dogs do. Yeah, totally. So <laughs> yeah, I, I just found the modafinil changed the dynamic there. So. Instead of like, I'm so tired, et cetera, et cetera, it was like, oh, wow, I can totally rock the day when I feel this way. And I got used to it. Like that yeah. is my brain's like, okay, it's my job to operate at this level of focus and this level of time. And I, after the first Joe Rogan show I went on in November, a lot of people said, oh, everything you do is because of modafinil. I'm like, that's a bunch of crap. Let me, yeah. let me prove it to myself. So I've gone for many times, I've gone for a month or two without it, but I was like, all right, I'm just going to see what happens. And I totally stopped taking modafinil uh, in November of last year. I've taken it like twice since, like for two one day things when I had like serious, uh, you know, international travel kind of stuff. Right. Um, and what I found is that my ability to pay attention, I mean, I, I've done, I've pulled out the stops and you know, I've trained my brain to focus in other ways. I can pay attention as much as I want all day long, as long as my nutrition is good. Like modafinil, I, my, my brain's used to being on modafinil. Like it yeah. just doesn't give me the the huge benefits it used to. I think people who take a low-level modafinil for a while while learning to focus their brain and to pay attention, I think that they probably get some neurological changes after a while that are beneficial, but I don't know. Yeah, it's like you develop the habit of thinking that way or feeling that way, which leads to new... Uh, connections and it myelinates them. And yeah. after a while, it's kind of a pattern of who you are. God, we haven't even had a chance to talk about myelination. I think uh, we, we need to schedule a bunch more podcasts to chat about the cool biohacking stuff that we're, we're working on. Oh, we will. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we will. Exactly. Well, yeah, but we, we're running out of time on this podcast. And there's a question that I've asked every guest forever. What are the top three things that you recommend people do? in order to be higher performance in all aspects of life. So it doesn't have to be biohacking, doesn't have to be anything, um, but just your, in your entire life's experience, your top three. All right. Number one, someone was asking me about this today. I was just on another interview. They're like, so why is eating well important? It's because it's necessary for everything that happens after that. Everything that you do with your body, the way that you think, the way that you perform, your health down the road, that the, the number one factor in that is eating well, making sure you're getting enough nutrients, nourishing your body, making sure you have enough energy. Do that first. Number two, relax. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Life is grand. Uh, and, you know, we have a lot of popcorn brain going on with all of the electronics and responsibilities uh, that we have today that we didn't necessarily have in the past. So try to disconnect from time to time. Take a walk every day you know, 20 minutes, an hour. They've, they've had studies where they've shown that an hour walk a day is more effective as an antidepressant than an antidepressant is. So go ahead and do that. It'll keep you sane. And number three, you absolutely create your own situation in life. So if you hate your job and you're staring bleary-eyed at your computer screen right now, like re-examine how you got there and see how you can get out of there to do something you're more passionate about. Same thing goes with your friends, how much time you spend with your family, your crazy uncle, or the brother who you love so much. Like, who would you rather spend your time with? <laughs> like, if you want to be a happy person, surround yourself with happy people and create your own perfect situation. Start with your perfect day and just go from there. Abel, amazing stuff. Now, tell our listeners your URL and how they can get in touch with you. Right on. The best and easiest place to find me is fatburningman.com. I've had Dave on the show a couple of times. I know you guys will dig it. Um, best way to get all the free goodies for me, including a free ebook, is to sign up for my email list at fatburningman.com, which is right up at the top or on the sidebar. Or, or on the pop-up menu or on the left-hand side or on the bottom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both, buddy. All right. Everyone, thanks thanks a ton for listening. Abel, it's always a pleasure to hook up, whether it's in person or on the podcast. See you soon. Right on, Dave. Thank you so much for having me on, man. Bye. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products.
Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.